Have you ever wondered what it's like to witness a murder? Forrest grabbed the knife and then just stabbed Johnny in one motion. Or how it feels to be shot. I was immediately hit by a barrage of bullets. Or how you would react if your spouse hired someone to kill you. And he was to put me in a grave with a bullet wound on my head. These are the stories you'll hear on the podcast called What Was That Like? True stories told by the actual person who went through it. You'll hear from a stalking victim. Came back upstairs and when I came back and turned the corner into my room, I saw him standing there. You'll hear from a man who was kidnapped and tortured. I would do anything, say anything, to simply get away. And you'll hear actual 911 calls. Take a deep breath. Oh my God! Take a deep breath. Oh my God! Take a deep breath. Oh my God! Real people in unreal situations. Search for What Was That Like on any podcast app or at whatwasthatlike.com. This podcast contains adult themes and language, and some of the things that we discuss may be disturbing to some listeners. In this podcast, we discuss sexual assault, torture, race, and murder. Listener discretion is advised. Please take care of yourself. Welcome to Fruit Loops, episode 193. Bienvenidos, bitches, and buitibinafi, and thank you so much for listening yeah. and being here with us. Fruit Loops is a podcast about true crimes committed by people of color and those who are others and the victims. Because contrary to popular belief, not all serial killers are straight, cisgender, white, able-bodied dudes. What? I'm telling you, it's crazy. (laughs) These crimes rarely get any public attention. And that is because the news is racist, allegedly. And we are Wendy and Beth. She's Wendy, a Black Latinx woman. And I'm Beth. And I just happen to be white. She is one of the good ones. She's an ally. (laughs) And we just love her. We love you, Beth. (laughs) Well, thank you. (laughs) I love you, too. (laughs) We're not journalists, investigators, or psychologists, just a couple of gals interested in true crime. Also, the opinions expressed in this podcast are just that, our opinions. All right, so who are we talking about today, Beth? Today we're talking about Markeith Lloyd, a black man who killed his pregnant ex-girlfriend and a police officer in Orlando, Florida. Well, before we get to Florida, man, and his shenanigans... (laughs) How you doing? Super busy all the time, 24-7. <laughs> oh my gosh, when are we going to get a vacation, a break? Oh but man. Speaking of which, we're having a video club coming up on the 30th of April. So when this episode drops, I think it might be the following Sunday. Ooh. And in any case, join us on Patreon where we have literally hundreds of hours of bonus content and our video club that we meet once a month. It's for $12 plus patrons. 
and you can interact with us in person. We review a video and uh, we talk about it. We BS. Exactly. It's yeah. Super it's fun. fun. It's yeah. fun. Yeah. So when I say don't fact check me, you can be like, uh, excuse me, Wendy, <clears throat> I'm here to fact check you. So we'll oh, see you there. Yeah. Also, we have CrimeCon coming up. That's right. And that's in September. Check it out. Use our code. I think it's CrimeCon.com. Mm-hmm. And yeah, use our code Fruit Loops yep. to get a discount. That's right. All right. Well, let's get into some listener letters. All right. Well, hello, angels. <sighs> Thank you. Oh, my God. Wow. What's in the bag, Beth? Well, I wanted to say thank you to Mariel Morales for a five-star review. Oh, thank you, Mariel Morales. Yeah, thank you. Yay! And we also got a message from Tulane, and they said, did you know T-Pain did a covers album? What? (laughs) Yes, I did know. I heard about it. It's really good. (laughs) They said, I've been listening to his cover of Black Sabbath's War Pigs on a loop. His version is so good thought a couple of gals like y'all might get into it oh yes first of all thank you t-lane t-lane and t-pain what um (laughs) and also yeah it is it is a really really like good super fun yeah it's just fun yeah so Thank you for that shout out. Yeah. So listen, y'all, uh, send us any questions or comments to fruitloopspod at gmail.com or leave us a voicemail at 602-935-6294. And we may feature it on a future episode. And now that I'm reading this out loud, I never say this part. Oh, there you <laughs> what go. was I doing? What's wrong with me? All right, let's take a quick break. And then we're going to get into the story when we come back. On the morning of August 1st, 1966, shots ring out from the observation deck of the clock tower on the University of Texas campus. It marks the infamous beginning of the modern era of mass shootings in America. You're listening to Stop the Killing podcast. Join us as we take you behind the crime scene tape to explain global mass shootings and mass attacks. I'm Sarah Ferris, but more importantly, this is Catherine Schweitz, the former head of the FBI's active shooter program. I spent five years as the FBI's top executive looking for answers to the mass shooting crisis. I've been at the shooting scenes. I've traced heroic acts of bravery. And I've sat silently and listened to the heart-wrenching stories from survivors. Amongst this horror, there is hope. We all hold the key to stop the killing. You just need to know how to unlock the door. Download Stop the Killing and be part of the solution. Search Stop the Killing on Apple, Spotify, and all the usual suspects. I want to take a moment to tell you about my podcast, Carol Costello Presents Blind Rage. In 1984, a woman named Phyllis Cottle was abducted in broad daylight, tortured, and left to die in a burning car in Akron, Ohio. At the time, I was a rookie reporter covering this horrific story. Since then, I've reported every kind of crime imaginable. I've been able to leave most of them at work, but not this one. The one that buried itself under my skin and stayed put. Phyllis Cottle was a badass woman, and I want to tell you her story. 
a production of Evergreen Podcasts and signature title of the Killer Podcast Network. You can find Carol Costello Presents Blind Rage wherever you get your podcasts. Discover more great true crime and paranormal programming at KillerPodcast.com. Okay, we're back. And uh, (laughs) remind us, Beth, who is our subject again? Markeith Lloyd, a black man who killed two people and wounded a third in Orlando, Florida. And at first I thought this was going to be a short episode. Yeah. But it turned out there was a lot to talk about with this one. So, so, so much. Yeah. Femicide, justice, all the things. All the things. So let's get into some stats. Well, according to researchers from Harvard T.H. Chan School of Public Health, pregnant women or women who have recently given birth in the United States are more likely to be murdered than to die from an obstetric cause. Wow. That's crazy. And these homicides are linked to a mix of intimate partner violence and firearms. The United States, the greatest country on earth, I'm just kidding, (laughs) uh, has a higher prevalence of intimate partner violence than comparable countries. Yeah. Look at all the things we're winning in. (laughs) Women dying, guns, and intimate partner violence. Wow. So such violence is often fatal, and it frequently involves guns. And Black women face substantially higher risk of being killed than white or Latinx women. Yeah, it's terrifying. Staggering. Yeah. Laws restricting women's access to reproductive care and abortion can place women at further risk, since control over a woman's reproductive choices often plays a role in intimate partner violence. And lenient firearms legislation can also increase that risk. And just a quick culture corner on reproductive rights. Black women, since this country, since we were brought here, have not had control over their bodies. During enslavement, they were told who to have children with, Mm -hmm. how many children to have. Once their children were born, they were sold. And so this attack on reproductive women's health is not new to black women. Yeah. But it also it doesn't make it any less fucked up. No. So let's no. get into the setting. All right. <laughs> what do you got, Beth? <laughs> so Orlando, which is located in central Florida, is the setting. Ooh. And Florida heritage and history begins with the early Native Americans who dwelled in this area before European invasion. Mm. At the time of European contact, there were three large Native American cultures in Florida, the Temecula in Northeast and Central Florida, the Appalachie in the Big Bend area, and the Calusa in South Florida. Okay. In 1513, Ponce de Leon claimed Florida for España. And throughout the 16th, 17th, and 18th centuries, Most of the indigenous peoples of Florida died from exposure to infectious diseases brought up by Europeans, European conflict, or they were absorbed into the mission villages of Spanish Florida. Same thing happened in Texas. Mm. We talked about that a few episodes ago. We did. You're right. Thank you. In the 1700s, bands of Creek from Georgia and Alabama migrated to Florida due to conflicts with Europeans and other tribes. Native Americans in Florida became collectively known as Seminole. Enslaved people who escaped from the 13 colonies often headed to Spanish Florida. The Spanish authorities offered them freedom if they converted to Catholicism and served in the colonial militia. 
Some found refuge in Seminole tribes, and they are now referred to as Black Seminoles. There's, I watched a whole documentary about Middle Florida. Oh, Middle Florida. Middle Florida, and as it relates to Black people and slavery. And Florida is really far away from the North, really yeah. far away yeah. from Canada. And enslaved people who wanted to leave Florida to try to escape to the North, it was incredibly dangerous and Difficult. deadly to do so. So. Yeah. You know, I anyway, sometimes I just really hate these history parts. They make me so <laughs> <Yeah>. mad. Sorry. <laughs> so in some cases, Seminole communities also practiced slavery, but their system of slavery was much different from the English and Spanish ones. Enslaved people had to surrender a portion of their harvests to the Seminole, but they lived in their own villages without oversight. And today, Black Seminole descendants live primarily in rural communities around the Seminole Nation of Oklahoma. The end of the French and Indian or Seven Years' War resulted in the transfer of Florida from Spain to England. The colony was divided into East and West Florida. James Grant, governor of British East Florida, encouraged white settlers to set up plantations using enslaved labor. Mm. Why couldn't they just do it themselves? Anyway, the area's black population quickly rose, and so did the number of enslaved people who escaped to join free communities. Florida remained loyal to England during the American Revolution. And when the Treaty of Paris ended the war, it allowed Spain to reoccupy Florida. Most of the English settlers in Florida then left for England or the Bahamas. Georgia slave owners frequently conducted slave raids across the border into Florida. And a series of cross-border skirmishes escalated into a war in 1816 when Andrew fucking Jackson invaded Florida over Spanish objections in pursuit of the Seminole. Jackson burned native villages, hanged two British subjects, and captured St. Mark's in Pensacola. Andrew fucking Jackson really hated <laughs> Native American people. He hated anybody who was not white. Anybody and I think I've color. said this before. Yeah. Like, yeah, he he was so racist for the time that people were like, bruh. <laughs> even 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 for the time, people were like, whoa, he's doing <laughs> OD. Much. He's doing <laughs> a lot. And it's really funny when I think because 45, a.k.a. 9, right. used to compare himself to Andrew Jackson. Oh, God. Which isn't a good thing. <laughs> no, and it's, it's not too far afield. Nope. <laughs> In 1824, Florida became a U.S. territory with Andrew Jackson as its first governor. The Seminoles were coerced into leaving their lands in the Florida Panhandle for a large reservation in the center of Florida. Florida became a state in 1845. The U.S. Army built Fort Gatlin south of the present-day Orlando city limits. By 1840, a small community had grown up around the fort. As the Fort Gatlin settlement expanded northward, the community officially changed its name to Orlando. Many of the early white settlers in central Florida were people who came down from Georgia and the Carolinas after the Civil War. Oh, quick culture corner. <clears throat> Welcome to Culture Corner with Wendy and Beth. <laughs> so the economy of enslavement and oppression at the time in the 1840s included the plantations, the black bodies, and the goods that they were right. harvesting and planting. But the economy also required other things to support that business. Mm -hmm. Banks, insurance. Right. I see you, Wells Fargo. I see, I see you, all <laughs> other insurance companies who've been around forever, including during the time of enslavement, as well as slave catchers, aka police, to maintain this economy. And on top of that, there were laws that governed the movement of Black people. So any white person was deputized in a way and could mm. ask for the Black person's papers. Otherwise, the Black person could risk being arrested or captured. Mm. 
So today, Orlando's economy is mainly tourism, but the goods, a.k.a. the experience, comes at the expense of poor people and BIPOC people who can't really afford to visit or live near the happiest place on Earth. And they're currently facing this legislation by Ron DeSatan to make it the most dangerous place. Instead of the happiest place on Earth, the most dangerous place on Earth for anyone who's not white, cis, male, wealthy or differently abled. And so the economy still thrives on the backs of those who are lower castes in our society in Orlando, in Florida. And I just thought that that was an interesting thing to point out. I hope you find it interesting, too. I'll shut up. Yeah. In 1880, some formerly enslaved people founded Jonestown, a 12 block black community near the banks of Fern Creek, about a mile east of Orlando's downtown. At that time, black people typically lived on the outskirts of cities, separated from white people, but close enough to do their work. Aha. Hmm. Okay. Okay. By 1891, 21 families lived in Jonestown. Eventually, Jonestown had more than 70 houses, one school, two churches, and six commercial establishments. Two churches. Wow. Two churches. (laughs) Two whole churches. By 1939, Orlando was building public housing for Black residents on the west side of Orlando's downtown in the Paramore District, with the railroad as the unofficial dividing line. White people got big mad because they thought it was unfair and they demanded a similar area for low income white families. Why can't you all live together? Huh? Uh, right. About that? Um, it, there's pl- there's plenty to go around, y'all, if you didn't have this stupid racism disease. Yeah. They also wanted to relocate Jonestown residents from the east side to the west side of town. So when a Jonestown house burned down in 1939 and work began to rebuild it, a delegation of white residents protested to city officials, citing the poor condition of neighboring structures, Hmm. and the city withdrew the building permit. In fact, Orlando had a plan for the complete removal of Jonestown, and this is not the only town where this happened in the United States. A low-cost housing project for white people would replace it and eliminate what Colin Murchison, the executive director of the Orlando Housing Authority, called a quote-unquote cancer. Jeez. The Morning Sentinel? Yeah. Also, I, we see you. Yeah. Your, <laughs> your white supremacy is showing. The Morning Sentinel also proclaimed that Black people would be happier in Southwest Orlando with, quote, others of their race, unquote. And now Jonestown no longer exists. Look how happy mm. they are. They're singing. Mm, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> Some of the predominantly Black communities in Orlando are Richmond Heights, Washington Shores, Carver Shores, Ivy Lanes, and Malibu, all located in southwest Orlando. The Carver Shores neighborhood borders downtown Orlando. Orlando is in Orange County, but directly to the west of Orange County is Lake County. In 1949, four young Black men were falsely accused of the rape of a white woman in Lake County. After the false accusation, Enraged white residents went on a violent rampage, shooting at and burning the homes of black residents. One of the falsely accused young men, Ernest Thomas, escaped from the county jail and was shot dead by an angry mob of a thousand men. Wow. Led by the Lake County Sheriff, Willis oh, V. Boy. McCall. Oh, Thomas boy. was shot 400 <gasps> times. Oh, my God. He had to have been basically a sieve. Disintegrated. Yeah. Yeah. The three other young men, one was actually a boy of 16, who had been falsely accused, were beaten into giving false confessions and quickly tried and convicted by an all-white jury. I just, 
it really breaks my heart, especially after the news. We'll talk about it on Thursday, but um, yeah. that young man who was shot by that white man, he just went to go pick up his brothers at yeah. uh, a nearby house and was shot in the head <laughs> through wow. the door for ringing oh up. Ring, you know, it's it's dangerous out here yeah. for us. So Charles Greenlee, the 16-year-old, was sentenced to life in prison. Samuel Shepard and Walter Irving, both Army veterans, were both sentenced to death after serving their country. Can you believe the treatment? Yeah. The U.S. Supreme Court reversed their convictions and ordered a new trial. But during their transport from the county prison for court proceedings, Sheriff McCall, that guy who led the thousand men and shot Thomas. Sounds like an upstanding man of the law. Yes, yes. You you can trust him. (laughs) Of course. (laughs) Sheriff McCall claimed that the pair tried to escape and he shot both of them, killing Shepard. Irvin played dead, survived the shooting and was tried again and sentenced to death. Wow. Wow. Irvin received a last minute reprieve from execution and his sentence was commuted by the governor. Greenlee and Irvin were both granted parole in the 1960s. Irvin died in 1970 and Greenlee in 2012. Wow. The Groveland Four, as the men became known as, were finally given a formal apology from the Florida House of Representatives on April 19, 2017, nearly 70 years after they were first accused. And of course, they were dead. So, yeah, I don't know what too, good little, it does, but it's, it's certainly a step in the right direction. Yeah, I have a whole list of other grievances. Florida specifically should apologize for. Yes, for uh, lots of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So now we're going to get into Marquise Lloyd's early life. So Marquise Lloyd was born on October 8th in 1975 in Orlando, Florida. Marquise grew up with his four siblings in Orlando's Pine Hills and Carver Shores neighborhoods in conditions his sister Tanya Lloyd described as, quote, survival of the fittest, unquote. One acquaintance described Marquise as being very smart. But he reportedly had a traumatic upbringing, including seeing a friend and a cousin murdered. Wow. Mm. A forensic psychologist later commented that he grew up in, quote, practically a war zone, unquote. Mm. That doctor said Lloyd had chronic post-traumatic stress disorder caused by a life of traumatic events. But I hope people understand that the war zone that he lived in was created by circumstances set that we described in the setting. Yeah. Yeah. In Pine Hills, which began as a white upper middle class suburb, the Lloyds were reportedly the only black family on their block. And the siblings said that they had to be inside their home before sundown because the Ku Klux Klan members were known to walk the street. Oh, my that God. Is terrifying. Yeah. Their mother, Patricia Lloyd, later said that she was physically abused by her husband, Marquise's father. She also admitted that she abused her own children. When the siblings didn't do their chores, their mother would punish Markeith and his older sister, Dana, by hitting them with switches, extension cords, and belts, as well as not allowing them to eat. And that is not a good punishment. Don't punish your kids by not allowing them to eat. That's not good. Yeah. But before the not allowing them to eat, I was thinking switches, extension cords, and belts. What's wrong with that? (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Yeah, that's all bad. That's all bad. Apparently, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I don't do that to my kids, but my ass has been torn up by several switches and belts. And look at at me now. (laughs) (laughs) So um, when she became a single mother, she began neglecting her kids and would disappear for days. So Markeith stepped up and became kind of a pseudo parent. But he was just a kid. 
So he had to resort to stealing food and clothes to provide for his siblings. Never a good position for a child no, to be in. No. Really fucks him up. Yeah. At the age of 16, he began selling drugs. According to his later defense attorney, quote, there were two routes. You either robbed or you deal drugs. And he didn't want to rob. So he dealt drugs, unquote. Yeah. I mean, limited choices, it sounds yeah. like. So yeah. his sister, Tanya, described her older brother as the family's protector, saying there were times that they didn't have lights on or running water. And he would make sure those things got reconnected. And when she asked him to teach her how to be a drug dealer because she was tired of being hungry and wanted to make her own money, he said, quote, absolutely not. I do this so you do not have to, unquote. Members of Markeith's family said that in his youth, Markeith was very funny and a jokester. He was also generous and often took care of other people in the neighborhood who needed help. His sister Dana said, quote, even when he was young, he's always, if he had it, everybody had it, unquote. Mm. But Markeith's aunt, Lorraine Harp, said that one day when Markeith was still a teenager, he showed up at her house after he'd been kidnapped and beaten up and that he became an angry person after that. According to his mother, Patricia, he lived in fear of being killed or incarcerated at an early age. And I can imagine that for a black man, a, that, a lot that's of pretty black, common. A, yeah, yeah, a lot of black people. I pray that my kids make it to their 30s. Yeah. I think that's something that a lot of black mothers worry about. Worry for about, children. yeah. Mm -hmm. A clinical psychologist who later evaluated him for trauma and PTSD said, quote, Mr. Lloyd spoke about very intense emotional experiences that he had as a child in relation to a couple of movies. Specifically, one of them was Roots. Another one of them was Mississippi Burning, unquote. Wow. Those movies are intense. And yeah, very intense. <laughs> I, <laughs> I, 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 maybe this is a, a tangent, but after watching like Mississippi Burning or Rosewood or Roots. I'm so mad at white people. Like, <laughs> you bet I don't even want to see your face. <laughs> like, they, they really, like, they're good movies because they're so effective at yeah. like, inciting emotion. But, but they can be they, traumatizing. They're really sure. based on real yeah. things that are traumatic. So, right. Anyway, I don't know why I brought that up. But anyway, Lloyd was arrested 20 times in Orange County beginning in 1994. And in 1996, when he was 21, Lloyd and three others were charged with murder after 24-year-old Keith Hall was shot several times over drugs on November 17th in 1995. But a 15-year-old witness later said that she lied about key information and the case was dropped. During the mid-90s, Lloyd pleaded no contest to resisting arrest without violence and was found guilty of carrying a weapon openly, battery and trespassing. In January 1998, he was sentenced to four years and 15 days in prison for battery on a law enforcement officer and resisting arrest with violence. In 2002, a corrections officer filed charges against him for battery while he was incarcerated. He was found guilty. Carrying a weapon openly? That's yeah. legal in Florida now, isn't it? I don't know. I don't know what their open carry laws are, but uh, yeah, lots of people around this country carry weapons openly. And I wonder, I've been thinking about this, you know, I've talked about like in the 60s, when the Black Panthers mm -hmm. started carrying guns, that's when they started implementing gun that's laws. That's when they banned. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think black people should start walking around openly with guns. See that's my thought. That's my yeah. thought. I think if more if black people infiltrated and joined the NRA on mass, that they might switch up the tune a little yeah, bit. Yeah. The whole country might. I don't know. Yeah. 
but that I have had that thought myself. Look at us. Great minds thinking alike. So according to his family, after he was released from federal prison in 2014, he became more withdrawn, though he still liked to help others. In one instance, Tanya Lloyd said her brother asked her to take out a life insurance policy on him because he believed police would kill him. Three women filed paternity claims against him from 1999 through 2001. On April 22, 2015, he married a woman named Lakarsha Robinson. Within six months, Lloyd faced domestic violence charges against Lakarsha, but they were dismissed. According to police records, in 2015, Lakarsha accused him of shooting her in the <gasps> leg. Oh, Wow. Wow. She originally told police that she was shot during a robbery, but later said that Lloyd had shot her. Mm. And after a year of multiple domestic violence incidents, Lakarsha told police that Lloyd continued to beat her. Another person who knew Lloyd said, quote, if things didn't go his way, he gets very angry, unquote. Lakarsha filed for divorce in November of 2016. Ohio is a land of mystery, from missing shipwrecks and lost treasure beneath her surface to strange phenomenon slicing through her skies, from myths that have evolved around historic events and people to the unsolved murders and disappearances that keep her communities wondering what happened. Find Ohio Mysteries on your favorite podcast app, and let's explore the inexplicable. OhioMysteries.com. Hi, I'm Sean McCabe. And I'm Carrie McCabe. We are, well, married, obviously, <laughs> but we're also obsessed with the darker side of things. True crime stories, alien abductions, poltergeists. If it leaves you scratching your head and keeping those lights on at night, we want to hear about it. That's why we host the podcast Ain't It Scary with Sean and Carrie. Every week, we bring our listeners a true story guaranteed to send chills down your spine, from history's most brutal serial killers to the mystery of spontaneous human combustion. Yep, lots of these stories leave unanswered questions behind, and you'll get to poke through the rubble of the evidence with a hardened skeptic and... Someone whose mind is more open to fun. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. <laughs> You can find Ain't It Scary with Sean and Carrie wherever you get your podcasts and on social media at Ain't It Scary. Come play with us. So now let's get into the timeline. Hit it, Beth. In 2016, when Lloyd was 41, he met 24-year-old Sade Dixon through Facebook. Wow. She was a mother, a sister, a daughter, and an aspiring model and actress. Sade worked on breaking into the business for a while before opening her own skincare and hair care business. She had also decided to get her real estate license and had just passed a course in preparation. Good for her. In a DM, Lloyd told Sade that she was cute, but quote, what's your credit score? Mm. Unquote. <laughs> Which I think might sound weird. But <laughs> it's very weird. <laughs> it, it is, but it's definitely to the point. And, yeah. you know, no fucking around, right? Let's get down yeah. to it. Are you a responsible, good person? Yeah. So Lloyd said when he met Dixon, he wasn't just looking for sex. He wanted a family. But when he met her for the first time, 
she came out wearing booty shorts. And he said, quote, queens don't dress like that. That's exposing yourself to the world, unquote. Well, so don't date her. Yeah. Fuck <laughs> off. Fuck you. You can go over there. Go date and somebody me else. And my booty asshole. shorts will be, yeah, just fine over here. <laughs> Lloyd and Sade only dated for three months. Lloyd met Sade's family multiple times and had dinner with them. She became pregnant about a month after they began dating and she moved in with Lloyd. During the time they were dating, they had multiple arguments over her marijuana smoking and the fact that she ate meat. Again. Go date someone else. <laughs> you don't have to be with me, sir. Now, Lloyd, who did not eat meat, said, quote, I don't believe in killing God's creation, unquote. Okay. Okay. Uh, all right. Uh, so they also argued about a Facebook Live video that Lloyd posted showing him with strippers at a club. Wow. And a friend of Chardé's said she had a black eye after Lloyd had pistol whipped her. On December 10th, 2016, Chade moved back in with her parents in Lockhart. She didn't tell her family why she needed to move back in, but she did tell them that she'd gotten into a physical altercation with Lloyd. During that fight, Lloyd bit Sade on oh, the back. Jesus. Wow. Yeah. Causing her to have to go to the doctor to get a tetanus Holy shot. Shit. Yeah. If you're dating a guy and he bites you and you have to get a tetanus shot. I mean, there are <laughs> there are so many red flags. Yeah. And I just feel so bad about yeah. what ends up happening to Sade. Yeah. And she did break up with him. So. She did, yeah, and tried to get away. Tried to get away. On. Yeah. Sade's mother was overjoyed when she moved back home, and she never liked Lloyd and knew that he was being abusive towards her daughter. On December 13th, Sade was having dinner with her family at her parents' house. Present at the dinner were her two young children, her mother Stephanie, her father Ron, and her two brothers, Dominique and Ronald. There was a knock at the door, and Ronald answered it. It was Lloyd. Sade stepped out to speak with him. Approximately 15 minutes later, Ronald looked outside and saw his sister and Lloyd standing on opposite sides of the two vehicles in the driveway, and Sade appeared frightened. So Ronald walked outside to de-escalate the situation, and he suggested to the two that they separate. Mm. Lloyd indicated that he was upset that Sade had been cheating on him, or so he said, and was smoking while she was pregnant. Sade stated, quote, you want to tell them all that, but you don't want to tell them that you had a gun to my head in the backyard of mom's house, unquote. <sighs> wow. Yeah. Ronald told Sade to go in the house and Lloyd stated, quote, nah, nah, nah. She ain't going nowhere right now. She ain't going nowhere. We got to talk about this. I can't walk away from this situation. We got to talk about it, unquote. As Sade moved to go inside, Ronald saw Lloyd remove a firearm from the pocket of the sweatshirt he was wearing, <sighs> retract the slide and chamber around. Lloyd began to fire and struck Ronald, who fell in between two pillars outside of the house. Lloyd continued to fire. Sade was hiding behind some pillars doing the initial gunshots. However, Lloyd also managed to shoot Sade multiple times. Dominique and his mother Stephanie heard gunshots and opened the front door to find Sade and Ronald lying on the ground with gunshot wounds. Oh, that's horrifying. Yeah. Lloyd shot his gun toward Dominique and Stephanie as he was running to his car, which was parked on the street. Dominique pushed his mother inside to safety and then tried to render first aid to his brother and sister. Sade suffered multiple gunshot wounds, seven in total, to her chest, abdomen, and foot, and was pronounced dead at 9.16 p.m., 13 minutes after a 911 call was placed. Ronald was transported to Orlando Regional Medical Center in critical condition with gunshot wounds in his chest and legs. He survived. Detectives found 11 40 caliber shell casings along the path of travel Lloyd took as he fled to his car and in the roadway where his car was parked. 
A 9 millimeter handgun was also found at the scene, but it hadn't been fired. On December 14, 2016, Lloyd was charged with two counts of first-degree murder, two counts of aggravated assault with a firearm, and one count of attempted murder. The warrant originally said Lloyd would be charged with killing an unborn child by injury to the mother but that charge was upgraded to first-degree murder. A manhunt was underway when on January 9, 2017, Lloyd was recognized by a woman in the checkout line at a Walmart. Moments earlier, that woman had seen an Orlando police officer walk out the door. So as soon as she was done checking out, she ran out of the store and told the officer Lloyd was inside. The officer was Miss Deborah Clayton, a black woman. She had been with the Orlando Police Department for 17 years. After graduating from the University of Central Florida, Florida, Deborah was hired by the Orlando Police Department in 1999. Deborah had a son named Johnny, and she'd gotten married about a year earlier to Seth Clayton. Seth said Deborah loved her job as a police officer, but, quote, It was worrisome. I worried about it when she went out at night, but it was something she was passionate about and something she wanted to do, unquote. Now, that's a man. Yeah. She was really well-respected in the community. People really liked Miss Deborah. Yeah. So he said Miss Deborah wanted to make a difference in the communities where there was violence, and she tried to bridge the gap between people and police. Her son, Johnny, said, quote, she loved people and she loved to save people and help people, unquote. Orlando Commissioner Regina Hill said that she made a difference in the community she served. At the time, Deborah was preparing to start a nonprofit to help bridge the gap between law enforcement and the community. Mm. That's good policing. Yeah. And think of the work that she could have done. She could have like, done. Continue yeah. to do. Officer yeah. Clayton called for backup. Security video showed Lloyd emerging from Walmart, pushing a cart containing the items he just purchased. Officer Clayton confronted Lloyd and stated, get on the ground. Surveillance footage showed that Lloyd retreated behind one of the large pillars outside of the Walmart entrance and drew his firearm. Lloyd and Officer Clayton circled around the pillar and Officer Clayton wound up on the street side of the pillar without any cover. While Officer Clayton was on the radio informing dispatch of the events, Lloyd fired toward Officer Clayton as she retreated, striking and fracturing her hip. Projectiles from Lloyd's firearm struck several cars as Walmart patrons fled or sought cover. Lloyd approached and circled Officer Clayton as she lay on her back on the ground, then shot her four times, the fatal shot hitting her neck. Officer Clayton fired her weapon seven times at Lloyd, but he was wearing body armor and was not injured. Oh, so he knew what he was. Yeah. Yeah. He knew what time it was. So Lloyd ran to a car parked in the lot and then casually left the area. He abandoned his vehicle in a nearby apartment complex and in the process fired several shots toward Captain Joe Carter who was in an unmarked explorer and had pursued Lloyd into the apartment complex. Lloyd then committed a carjacking at gunpoint, stole that victim's vehicle, and fled. Wow. So now we're going to get into the investigation and the arrest. A $125,000 reward was offered for any information leading to Lloyd's arrest. It's heating up now because... Yeah, because of that police Because officer. of the officer shooting. So right. he killed... Charday in a pregnant woman in November, December. Yeah. And then shot the police officer in um, January. January. And that's when things heated up. So the U.S. Marshals added Lloyd to the 15 most wanted list. And on January 11th, 2017, Orlando police arrested three of Lloyd's associates and relatives. Zargi Mayan, Lakinsha Smith Lloyd and Jamise Slaughter. Investigators said that the three were helping Lloyd while he was on the run. 
Charges against them were later dropped and they were not prosecuted. Zargi Mayan told detectives that Lloyd had been wearing a bulletproof vest since Sade's murder. Wow. Yeah. So on January 19th, 2017, after over 30 days on the run, investigators found Lloyd after tracking pings from his phone. He was hiding out in an abandoned home in the Carver Shores neighborhood in Orlando. Helicopter footage of Lloyd's arrest showed him in the open doorway of the home. He then dropped to the ground and began crawling across the yard while over a dozen officers watched. Lloyd was injured during the arrest and taken to Orlando Regional Medical Center for treatment. Officer Deborah Clayton's handcuffs were used to take Lloyd into custody. Orlando Police Chief John Mina said that Lloyd resisted arrest and he called Lloyd's injuries minor. Uh... In reality, (laughs) he'd been on the ground while he was repeatedly kicked by officers and the beating resulted in several broken bones in his face and the loss of his left eye. Yeah, they beat him so hard, his eye popped out his head. Yeah. And those injuries are classified as minor. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) The helicopter footage of the arrest showed that as Lloyd crawled to the street, several officers rushed in, and it looks like at least two officers kicked at his head. However, the camera quickly pans away and Mm -hmm. does not resume another tight shot as officers continue the arrest. Chief John Mina later suggested the cameraman change the view because he was responsible for maintaining overwatch on the entire house. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Oh, shit, um, it's so so fucking yeah. obvious. Did you watch it? Um, no, I did not. I did because I was trying to figure out like some of the articles said that he crawled out from under the house mm-hmm. and other ones. It didn't make any sense to me. So I looked up the helicopter footage mm-hmm. and he He's in the doorway and he drops to the ground and he crawls all the way across the yard like he's just crawling Mm -hmm. across the yard until he gets close to the street and then they all come rushing in. And then the camera pans away Mm -hmm. and you know why they panned away. We're not stupid, but they act like we're stupid. And and I guess, yeah, it's it baffles me how people don't. It's so blatant. Yeah, how people not see this. It's the same thing with uh, lots of other things that happen with black people being and police encounters by police yeah Mm -hmm. i mean you see the video you can see it yes and they tell you well that's because and you know it's a lie yeah and it's no wonder that black people don't trust the police it's no wonder yeah all right everybody that's my friend beth over there (laughs) wow (laughs) give it up for Beth. Uh, hashtag be like Beth. Yeah, it is. It really is. It's so blatant. Um, so back to the story. Here we go. Okay. <laughs> Orlando Police Lieutenant Jonathan Cute later testified that he instructed Lloyd to crawl towards his voice, but Lloyd did not follow his instructions. Hmm. He said that the way that Lloyd was crawling, he believed Lloyd was still concealing a firearm. So he reacted, Hmm. quote, I struck Mr. Lloyd with my foot on the left side of his face. I believe Mr. Lloyd would use his gun to kill myself or other officers, unquote. Mm. Lloyd begged for medical attention, but his pleas were ignored. The firearms found with Lloyd were a Smith & Wesson 40 caliber pistol and a Glock 17 9mm pistol. The firearms were sent to the Florida Department of Law Enforcement for analysis and matched the murders of both Sade Dixon and Deborah Clayton. 
the 9mm handgun was found to have fired the shots at Captain Joe Carter. Video recorded outside of the Orlando Police Department headquarters showed Lloyd with a bloody face and swollen eyes. Lloyd repeated three times to reporters outside, quote, they beat me up, unquote. That same video shows John Mina smiling at reporters <gasps> as he walked into the building. Yeah. See, I watched that video of him being walked in and into uh-huh. the interrogation room. I didn't notice the smiling, but I'm going to go mm-hmm. have to go back and look. Look at it. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh, I don't know what to say. So Lloyd told detectives that the fatal shooting might not have happened if Officer Clayton, quote, had waited for backup. Mm. She pulled her gun out first. Unquote. Bullshit. <laughs> mm-hmm. When asked by detectives about the killing of his ex-girlfriend, Sade Dixon, Lloyd claimed self-defense. <laughs> Whoa. Nothing is ever this guy's fault. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> During an initial hearing on charges related to his ex-girlfriend's death, Lloyd went on a profanity-laced rant, accusing authorities of making up allegations against him. It ended when he said, fuck you to the judge. Oh, my God. That's never a smart decision. You shouldn't do that. (laughs) (laughs) A day later, he went before the same judge on five new charges filed against him in Clayton's death. Lloyd was charged with first-degree murder, attempted first-degree murder of a law enforcement officer, carjacking with a firearm, aggravated assault, and wearing a bulletproof vest while committing an offense. I didn't know that was against the law. I was thinking the exact same thing. I guess committing an offense is against the law, but... Right, but wearing a vest while you're doing it? (laughs) Oh, wow. Sometimes these laws be just crazy. Yeah, well, I guess it makes sense, but, well, not really. I don't know. I don't know what I think about that. I didn't know. This is illuminating information. (laughs) Uh, So he was subdued during this hearing but still interrupted the judge during the proceedings and refused to answer simple questions like, what is your name? (laughs) Fuck you. (laughs) Jeez, Mr. Lloyd. (laughs) At a news conference, Orlando Police Chief John Mina, this guy, Mm. called Lloyd a, quote, violent, dangerous, and unpredictable person, unquote, and said officers showed, quote, unquote, incredible restraint during the arrest. (laughs) And then did the audience bust out laughing? We see you. We see you. So the four officers who beat Lloyd were eventually cleared of criminal wrongdoing Mm. and exonerated of using excessive force. A state attorney's review found that Orlando police officers were justified Mm. under Florida's stand your ground law in their use of force during the apprehension of Lloyd. Stand your ground. (laughs) He was crawling. Yeah. (laughs) Wow. Uh, Florida. Fucking Florida. (laughs) Florida is Florida. Yeah. (sighs) Orange County Deputy Norman Lewis also died during the manhunt. Mm. Lewis was aiding in the search for a few hours after Clayton was shot when he was fatally struck by another vehicle while on his service motorcycle. Oh, wow. Okay. Okay. So now let's get into the trial. On March 16th, 2017, Florida State Prosecutor Aramis Ayala announced that her office would not pursue the death penalty in any case, saying that capital punishment is, quote, not in the best interests of this community or in the best interests of justice, unquote. She was elected in November 2016 and served as the chief prosecutor from 2017 to 2021. Following Ayala's decision not to seek the death penalty, a white employee of the Seminole County Clerk of Courts wrote on Facebook that Ayala, quote, should be tarred and feathered if not hung from a tree, unquote. Wow, that language is disgusting. Yeah. Florida's House of Representatives, Sean Shaw, Sean Shaw, 
responded, quote, it's 2017 and the newly elected state attorney was threatened with a lynching. That's why we're here today. The death penalty is a link to the sordid past of Florida where lynching was used to terrorize our community, unquote. The court's employee subsequently resigned. Not fired? Hmm? I guess. I don't know. It's Florida. It's fucking Florida. Yeah. Maybe forced to resign. And good. (laughs) In reaction to Ayala's decision, then Florida Governor Rick Scott, who never bothered to speak with Dixon's family, removed Ayala from the case and replaced her with a special prosecutor. Mm. And Scott subsequently issued executive orders removing Ayala from at least 26 other homicide cases. Wow. We see what you're doing. Yeah. We wow. See and you. it Ayala seemed to be on the right track. Like, yeah, let's pursue justice. We just don't have to kill people. Yeah. And man, Florida's Florida, Florida really wants to kill people. Wow. How about Florida? <laughs> don't. Anyway, Uh, Ayala, a Democrat and Florida's first black elected state attorney, was removed by a white governor and replaced with a right Republican prosecutor from neighboring Lake County, which was known for the lynching and wrongful use of the death penalty against the Groveland Four. Oh, full circle moment. Full fucked up circle moment. Wow. Yeah. Gross. The Florida Legislative Black Caucus joined more than 100 lawyers and legal experts in the parents of murder victim Sade Dixon in urging Governor Scott to rescind his order. Representative Sean Shaw highlighted the racial history implications of the governor's actions, saying, quote, Clearly, all the data and all the studies show that the death penalty is applied with racial bias, particularly in Florida. This is still the case and has always been the case. And by standing against the death penalty, state attorney Ayala is standing with communities of color, unquote. Curious what ever happened to state attorney Ayala. Well, you'll find out. Oh, yay. So the parents of (laughs) Shade Dixon supported state attorney Ayala's decision not to subject them to the ordeal of extended death penalty proceedings and opposed Governor Scott's decision to remove her from the case. Ron Daniels, Shade's father, said, quote, life, no chance of parole. We get closure. But now if you give him the death penalty, he comes back. Every time he appeals, this family or any family has to relive that case all over again, unquote. introduce you to Barry Clue, an authorised financial advisor from New Zealand and a very special kind of stain on humanity. He was a very uh, knowledgeable young guy. He was a registered financial advisor. Type of guy that was bending over backwards to help you. Now you could be forgiven for thinking that Barry sounds like a great guy and you'd be right. Well, right up until the point when you're wrong. It was all fictitious. You stole from my son who has a disability. Chris never knew. He died believing that we're all taken care of. A psychopath is somebody who lacks empathy, acts impulsively. I think there's a strong case that Barry might be all of those things, actually. To find out how Barry Clue stole over $15 million from 81 victims, subscribe to Clueless, the long con. That's Clueless, spelt K-L-O-O-G-H-L-E-S-S.
The Supreme Court of Florida ruled against Ayala, saying that the governor was within his power to take cases away from Ayala because of her position on the death penalty. Wow. In May 2019, Ayala stated that she would not seek re-election as state attorney. Aramis Ayala is currently running for attorney general for the state of Florida. Wow. Well, uh... Tension fruities in Florida. Yep. By the way, one of my tips on how not to get murdered has to do with being involved in local government, right? Oh, okay. So in 2019, the defense asked for a competency hearing for Lloyd, claiming he was exhibiting signs of paranoia and delusional thinking. The request was granted after Lloyd spoke nonstop for more than 20 minutes, claiming his <laughs> innocence and saying he loved Dixon and wouldn't hurt her. But he did, though. And when Lloyd was ordered to undergo an evaluation, he said, quote, I ain't talking to nobody. I ain't crazy, unquote. Well, you sure look like it. (laughs) In October 2019, Lloyd was found competent and he went on trial for the murder of Sade Dixon. A clinical psychologist testified that Lloyd was convinced he was a slave and the police officers and prosecutors were his slave masters and were trying to kill him. Lloyd testified during his trial, saying that he went to Sade's house that night to convince her not to get an abortion. Ah. He insisted that Sade was the one who confronted him with a gun during their argument. Wow. On October 16th, 2019, the jury began deliberating shortly after 1 p.m. and rendered a verdict in about four and a half hours. Jurors found Lloyd guilty of the murder of Sade Dixon and attempting to murder three of her family members during the shooting. During sentencing, Lloyd's defense attorney, Terrence Lenneman, argued that his client had developed a significant delusional disorder because of his life experiences, including his abusive father abandoning the family, facing racism, and trouble in school. Lloyd's attorney told jurors that they must also weigh the mitigating circumstances of Lloyd's life, including a diagnosis of post-traumatic stress disorder and delusional disorder that affected his mental health. Jeffrey Colino, a forensic neurologist, told jurors He found Lloyd's brain had scarring, wow, likely due to physical trauma, and that during the exam, Lloyd displayed delusional thinking and paranoia. He said he diagnosed Lloyd as having organic psychosis and executive dysfunction syndrome. On October 23, 2019, a Florida jury rejected the death penalty, imposing a life sentence on Markeith Lloyd for the killings of Sade Dixon and her unborn child. The special prosecutor had sought the death penalty over the objection of Dixon's family, who had supported Ayala's decision to decapitalize the case. Then in October of 2021, Lloyd was put on trial for the murder of Deborah Clayton. It's been reported that the jury selected was racially diverse. In his opening statements, Lloyd's defense attorney, Terrence Lenneman, said that his client is a mentally ill man who has always believed the police were out to kill him. Lenneman told the court that Officer Clayton fired first and that Lloyd was acting in self-defense. Lloyd was found guilty on five charges, first-degree murder on a law enforcement officer, attempted murder on a law enforcement officer, aggravated assault with a firearm, carjacking with a firearm, and possession of a firearm by a convicted felon. During the penalty phase of the trial, several witnesses testified, including Lloyd's daughter, Kiana Lloyd, who said she and her daughter care for him very much and asked the jury to spare his life. The defense said Lloyd had a delusional fear the police were out to kill him. Delusional? Yeah, I don't know if that's delusional. Yeah, I don't know about that. Lloyd did not testify during this penalty phase of the trial. On March 3rd, 2022, 
the jury voted unanimously to sentence Markeith Lloyd to death mm. for the murder of Orlando police officer Deborah Clayton in 2017. Deborah Clayton's family members said they believed that the jury's decision was the right one, even though they knew it was a decision that wasn't easy to make. Mm. Members of Lloyd's family said they did not want to comment, but his attorney, Terrence Lenneman, summed up his reaction, saying, quote, there were no winners in this case, no winners, unquote. So let's get into where are they now? Tell us, Beth. The Dixon Daniels family launched a nonprofit organization to honor their daughter, Sade Dixon's memory. Her mother, Stephanie Dixon Daniels, said, quote, We want to empower women who are in a domestic violence situation and to make them aware of the gun violence, unquote. Sade Dixon left behind two beautiful children. Deborah Clayton is survived by her husband and son. She was posthumously promoted from the rank of master sergeant to the rank of lieutenant. Her son, Johnny, at a memorial said, quote, Everything she worked for, she died for. She loved people, and she loved to save people and help people, unquote. Orlando Commissioner Patty Sheehan said Deborah Clayton, quote, was love, unquote. Lloyd is currently incarcerated at the Union Correctional Institution in Rayford, Florida. He appealed his death sentence in 2022, and the Florida Supreme Court will hear oral arguments in May of this year. Wow. Coming up. Yep. Coming up. All right. Well, that's it for the story. Let's get into our takes and what we think made him snap. What do you got? Well, his childhood was not great. No. No. Having to care for his siblings at such a young age, Mm -hmm. that has to take a toll on you. Mm -hmm. Then out of necessity, stealing, selling drugs Mm -hmm. and all the anxiety and violence that that brings. Yeah. Plus jail time. Mm -hmm. All that stuff is not good for a growing young person. So I think he Mm -hmm. got pretty fucked up when he was young. I'll say. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. His behavior towards women was disgusting. Yeah. He had to control their every move. And I, I kind of get why he became that way. Really? Because when he was young, he was the one in control. Ah. And he had to be in control because uh-huh. there was no parents around. Right. And as a kid at a young age, I think it just all got twisted and fucked up inside of his head. Yeah. The wiring might have got yeah, messed up exactly. because of the situation he was right. in. Right. Yeah. Right. But it's still disgusting. Yes. The way he treated women. Agreed. And then if you didn't guess, it was appalling to me to read about how the police beat Lloyd. Mm -hmm. I mean, we may not care about this particular guy because of the horrible things that he did. Yeah. But that's no excuse for police brutality. Right. If it can be done to him, it can be done to anyone. Literally. Yeah. Yeah. And if that doesn't bother you, then there's something wrong with you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'll say. (laughs) Listen to Beth. She's wise. And how the camera panned away and the police chief made excuses. And, and, you know, as I said earlier, it's so fucking obvious. Yeah, the camera is literally the Bart Simpson meme going into the bushes. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, really. You could do an SNL skit about it. It's so fucking ridiculous. Yeah. And yet they get away with it time after time. And then we wonder why why does the black community not trust the police? And how did Hmm. OJ get away with murder? Because the black community doesn't trust police. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Oh, yeah. It's not good for anyone. It's a vicious cycle and it's just wrong. People in authority should do better. They really. They should not be beating people, they should not be getting angry. And beating people yeah. when they arrest them. They should be above that. All they had to do was arrest him. Arrest him. That's all they had to do. Right. And he was just crawling on the ground. 
And law enforcement is able to show restraint. We've seen yeah. him do it with Dylan Roof. do it. Yeah. And all the other white people. Yeah. Straight white males who commit heinous crimes. Yeah. Timothy McVeigh. I mean, <laughs> I don't think anybody beat him up, mm-hmm. you know, and I get that they're maybe not exactly the same crimes, but heinous nonetheless. And the treatment of yeah. the perpetrators who are citizens, yeah. you know, even though they may have done something bad still there's a whole system that people are supposed to believe in yeah but when police engage in this kind of behavior and get away with it yeah how can you i mean if they engage in this kind of behavior they should be held accountable i couldn't agree with you more yeah so it was ironic or i don't know if irony is the right word but he murdered a civilian pregnant black woman his ex-girlfriend right and it wasn't until like a month later that when he murdered a police officer who also was a black woman right that the energy right. of the police like went through the roof yeah to the point where they yeah. caught this man and beat his eyeball out his whole fucking head yeah and i think that his attorney was on to something and i agree with you beth that his upbringing you know, racism, trouble in school. Remember he got his ass kicked? Yeah. Really intensely. Yeah. Kidnapped. Yeah. So a lot of instances of trauma. Yeah. And then seeing a friend and a cousin murdered. Right. And, you know, living, growing up, having to dodge the KKK. Yeah. I get how that can mess with you internally. Right. And the neglect, he, you know, he developed into a protector by any means necessary. I also wanted to comment on the toxic masculinity of it all, his need to control, his deflecting of blame at every turn. But I also have to mention that Black men in particular, Black people have only been full citizens in this country since like 1960 something. Yeah. And sometimes it's not an excuse, but sometimes I'm like, I mean, oh, yeah, yeah. They haven't had like a full, <laughs> like a full generation of being full citizens. In this Human country, beings with yeah, rights and seen as, yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's just it's just something to think about. Not an excuse yeah. by any means, but maybe somewhat of an explanation. And Shade and her family, I found it hard to find information about her and her family, like details. I saw right. interviews with them. I saw them on the stand. But most of the coverage on this case is about the perp and the police officer that was killed. Yeah. And it yeah. seemed unfair to me. Right. And so just thoughts and prayers to her surviving two kids, you know, her brother and her family who are left without her. Shout out to them for being able to confront Lloyd in court. Yeah. And that's all I got on my thoughts. Okay. Okay. All let's right. get into how not to get murdered. <clears throat> so listen up, everybody. If you love true <laughs> crime and you don't want to die, here's a tip for you. <laughs> this segment is not intended to be victim blaming. We thought of this segment because I read somewhere that a lot of people listen to true crime because they want to know what they can do to be safer. This is not meant to blame the victims. It's just learning from other people's experiences. So ending violence against women is everybody's business, everybody's problem. There's lots of ways that we can all sort of contribute to helping fix this problem, including learning more about the issue, calling out sexual harassment challenging beliefs on masculinity, supporting women's organizations, pushing for stronger laws. That boyfriend loophole is still a thing. What's the boyfriend loophole? If there's an intimate partner violence situation and the couple are married, the male spouse or whoever's perpetrating the violence 
can be prohibited from getting a firearm or have their firearm taken away. But if they're a boyfriend, not married, uh, the law doesn't apply. Oh, so that's the yeah, loophole. That's stupid. Yeah, it's incredibly stupid. And support women in leadership. I see you, Attorney General Ayala. Not in Florida, yeah. <laughs> but uh, it's things like that. Supporting yeah. women in leadership really goes that's, a long way. Yeah, we need women in control. <laughs> Absolutely. Men have been doing it for a long time. And I got to yeah, say, they're not great at this. <laughs> so I've got a couple of links to some articles and resources on okay. eradicating sort of violence against women. And then the number we've shouted out before, the National Domestic Violence or Interpartner Violence Hotline is 1-800-799-7233 or thehotline.org. It's free. It's confidential. It's available in 170 languages and is open 24-7. Nice. All that stuff will be in the show notes. All right. Now, it is shout out time where we shout out yeah any content by or about people of color any marginalized folks or any true crime goodies one of our listeners their partner is in a group called negro justice Hmm. and they have a new album out and it's called art of the craft and you can check them out at negro justice to buy the album or you can listen to the album wherever you stream but it is so good oh nice so i wanted to thank aiko b for your partner for putting us on because the vibes are undeniable on this on this album. Nice. Also, shout out to Kimberly Ann, who let us know and wants to let the Fruities know about North Carolina's first Black-owned children's bookstore. Oh, wow. And it is in the heart of downtown Raleigh. Holy shit, nice. I didn't get the name of the bookstore. Hang on okay. a second. Oh, wait a minute. And a lot of these bookstores... Even if you're not in that community, you can buy from them online. Nice. It's called Liberation Station Bookstore. Nice. Liberation Station Bookstore. So those are my shout outs. Pretty sure that's all I have to say. What do you got? (laughs) (laughs) So I've been listening lately to the new Abnormal podcast. Oh. It's a podcast put out by the Daily Beast. Oh. And it's hosted by Danielle Moody and Andy Levy. Uh Uh-huh. Danielle Moody's a queer black woman, and I absolutely adore her. Uh She uh, she's so smart and uh, she goes on rants and I love it. (laughs) (laughs) We love a good rant over here at Fruit Loops. (laughs) And I also found out just today that she also hosts a podcast called Democracy Ish, which I also listened to today with a co-host named Wajahat Ali. And they're both people of color and they discuss things that are not covered by mainstream media. And discuss how we can achieve multiracial democracy. Wait a minute. What? I I think Danielle Moody also has another show called, I want to say, like, Woke AF. It's very possible. She's yeah. got her hands in a lot of she's, things. Yeah. She's really smart. She's no holds Super bar. smart. Love, yeah. love, love, love. Okay, yeah. awesome, awesome, awesome. So those are, to recap, the group is called Negro Justice. They're at Negro Justice on Instagram, and their album is called Art of the Craft, and you can stream it wherever you stream stuff. The first Black-owned children's bookstore is in the heart of downtown Raleigh, North Carolina. It's called Liberation Station Bookstore, and you can also purchase books from them online, as well as a podcast called The New Abnormal. And what else? Democracy-ish. Democracy-ish. Wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah. 
We're here. All right. <laughs> well, that's it. Where can the people find us, Beth? <laughs> our website is fruitloopspod.com, and we use Fruit Loops Pod for all of our social media. The footnotes for each episode can be found on our website. Plus, check it out for the different ways that you can support the show and become a Fruit Loops patron. Mm -hmm. You can also support us by supporting our sponsors or by giving us a five-star review. Please do. Correct. <laughs> Please do. We love getting those five-star yeah. reviews. Now, this is a weekly podcast and new episodes drop every Thursday. So until next time, look alive, y'all. It's crazy out there. with me all right this is your brain on drugs <laughs> my brain feels like scrambled egg but i'm not on drugs you shouldn't do that yeah <laughs> your white supremacy is showing why can't you all live together huh? uh you right about that? Uh, i guess i don't know it's florida it's fucking florida how about florida <laughs> don't anyway i uh, <laughs> andrew fucking jackson andrew fucking jackson <laughs> he was so racist for the time that people were like, bruh. <laughs> what is your name? <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> Jeez, Mr. Lloyd. <laughs> if that doesn't bother you, then there's something wrong with you. <laughs> yeah, I'll say. <laughs> Listen to Beth. She's wise. Again, go date someone else. <laughs> you don't have to be with me, sir. <laughs> Me and my booty shorts will be, yeah, just <laughs> fine over here. <laughs> Hi, I'm Matt Harris. Seton Tucker and I host the podcast Impact of Influence, which for two years covered in depth Alec Murdoch, who was eventually convicted in 2023 of murdering his wife, Maggie, and son, Paul. That story continues to evolve, and we will cover that. Plus, we will tell you stories of other true crime events that have happened in the South. Please join us on Impact of Influence. And give us a follow on the Impact of Influence Facebook page. True terrors of horror, bizarre happenings, unexplainable events. On our podcast, Disturbed, Terror Takes Center Stage. Each episode is a journey into the darkest corners of human existence, delving into bone-chilling tales of kidnappings, serial killers, maniacs, and the very essence of your worst nightmares, coming to life on this weekly true horror show. Disturbed is not for the faint of heart. It's an exploration of real, unadulterated horror sourced from everyday people. Each episode is a descent into the macabre, where we narrate stories that will leave you on the edge of your seat 
and crawling in your skin. We navigate the disturbing narratives that lurk in the shadows, offering a raw and unfiltered listen into the most terrifying aspects of the human experience. Enter at your own risk and let the unsettling tales unfold in the haunting realm of Disturbed. And remember, listeners, stay safe out there.